0: Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. You know how I feel today. I'm so happy to be with you. I am so happy to know you. And I'm so happy to be with you on a Friday. We love a Friday bonus episode. Y'all know it. And this one is extra special to me. Today, you're in for a treat because we're talking about the brand new movie, Surprised by Oxford, with the author of the memoir that inspired it, Carolyn Weber. And yes, I'm making my acting debut, the sunrise and the sunset of my acting career in this movie. Let's go. But before we dive in, I want you to know that you can actually win two free tickets to see Surprise by Oxford. Get this, we're giving away a hundred tickets to see Surprise by Oxford in theaters on September 27th. One hundred tickets, you guys. All you have to do, make sure you're following Surprised by Oxford on Instagram and then like and share the post about the giveaway. We'll link to it in the show notes so that you know which Instagram post, but it'll be very clear. And you'll be entered to win two tickets for Surprised by Oxford at a theater near you. But listen, the film is playing nationwide for a limited time. So, Regardless, don't miss your chance to see my favorite book turned into a film in theaters on September 27th, you know, and maybe catch my cameo. Let's go. So go to Surprise by Oxford on Instagram now to win those tickets. And today on the show, like I mentioned, I get to talk to my friend, Dr. Carolyn Weber, who is the author of Surprised by Oxford. Y'all, when I tell you I fell in love with this book the first time I read it, and I think it is still a really beautiful read that you would enjoy as well as seeing the movie. I cannot wait for you to hear Carolyn talk about writing it, and now seeing it come to life on the big screen. It is a Fascinating conversation. Carolyn's an award-winning author, professor, and international speaker who recently relocated here to Nashville and is a professor at New College Franklin in Franklin, Tennessee. Surprised by Oxford was her first memoir and won, among other distinctions, the Grace Irwin Award, which is the largest award for Christian writing in Canada, you guys. I mean... I'm telling you this book. If you love Oxford and British culture, if you love C.S. Lewis, if you love a good love story, if you just love a great book that turns into a great movie, you're going to love Surprise by Oxford. It's in theaters again September 27th, but for a really limited time. So grab your tickets, go see the movie. You can go to surprisebyoxford.movie to find out when and where it's playing near you. So here is my conversation with my friend, Carolyn Weber. Carolyn Weber, welcome to That Sounds Fun. Thank you so much for having me, Annie. I am so thrilled. I can't, I mean, I know you know this. I kind of can't believe I get to talk to you. I cannot believe, I mean, when I met you a year and a half ago, I was not cool, Carolyn. I remember. I was so starstruck by you. So Well, the feeling's I mutual, and I'm still not cool, so I'm grateful to be. <laughs> no, it's amazing. Okay, so we're, let's jump to the end of the story, and then we'll back up. Okay, You are the author of the memoir, Surprised by Oxford. Mm-hmm. You're also the main character in a feature film that people can watch in theaters on Wednesday, September 27th. How weird is that?
1: It's very weird. It
0: has to be so Completely weird. Completely
1: surreal. To be a character in a film. It feels so strange to say, oh, Rose Reed plays me.
0: Yeah, right. It's it's lovely she does.
1: (laughs) It's a huge upgrade. (laughs) She
0: does a beautiful job. She does a beautiful job.
1: It's great to have a better version of me out there. But it is a very surreal Thing.
0: So is Ryan Whitaker the one who got the whole thing started? So mm-hmm. did he just call you? Were y'all already friends? How did it? How does this go from your book exists for a decade? Right. And then someone calls your phone one day and says, Can I make it into a movie?
1: Yeah, it was super crazy act of grace. So I was in Canada at the time. We'd moved back up to Canada to be with my parents. I'm in a supermarket with my boys wrestling in a cart, like kids <laughs> do in a shopper's cart. And I get this phone call from Ryan Whitaker and had no idea really who he was and uh, said he wanted to make a film. And I was like, okay, sure, whatever. I'd been asked before a few times and it had been through student ministries and I just, the integrity of the film was really important to me, so I wasn't sure. And my agent called me back later and said, you know, I think he's really got a lot of integrity and a lot of vision, and this is who he is, and this is his work, this is his team, you should really just give him a shot. He called back, and I listened again and in checkout, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> buying groceries. And he, I just really appreciated him from the start. We had several conversations after that, and our friendship grew over the phone. I appreciated his vision, his other team members I was able to talk with, and then found out completely accidentally that uh, his favorite professor ever was Greg Wilbur, who had introduced him to film, had film nights at his house years and years ago, really planted that passion for film in his heart. And Greg Wilbur was uh, a friend of mine through classical learning and education. Oh, wow. We'd met through other conferences for years. So I actually have a picture of the three of us going out for dinner six, seven years ago <gasps> at a conference that is how long this in journey has been? Yes. And we didn't oh. even know we all knew each other.
0: Six or seven years. Yeah, probably been... about that. And oh my so gosh, I Carolyn. would say
1: it really heated up in the last five years. But Greg and Ryan and I were all then friends in that group. And Greg Wilbur is the president of New College Franklin, where I was invited to come teach in the Nashville area. So all of that is incredibly – I had no idea that they were all connected. So we did – Ryan did do the screenplay and Ernest adapted, worked really hard on it, did a beautiful job, checked in with me often and was very thoughtful about it and about the integrity of it and representing my family and people you love and care for. And then COVID hit. So we thought it yeah. would kill things for sure. But yeah. actually, uh, God really opened a lot of doors while we were filming. And we got into places in England and Oxford that you can't normally get into at all, even right. without COVID right. restrictions. So it really accelerated towards the end in terms of filming and coming together.
0: It's just, I cannot believe it's been that long of a thing.
1: Yes. Yeah. It was that's definitely crazy. before COVID where we started all of this.
0: So a lot of our friends listening may know this, but I'll tell a short version of the story anyway. I was sent your book. It released in 2011. I was sent the manuscript in 2011 and fell in lo- I mean, truly one of the best books I have ever read. One of the best memoirs. It, it was one of those that made me want to write memoirs because well, it's kind just of you. so good. Carol, it's so good. What does it feel like? I cannot imagine this with my books. What does it feel like for someone who you really trust like Ryan? I mean, Ryan's incredibly gifted, mm-hmm. but he did leave things out mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. had to shift some things to make it a movie that mm-hmm. is...
1: Yeah, 400-page
0: memoir. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 400-page <laughs> memoir, and the movie is an hour 57. Yes. And so how do you come to terms with that part as the author and mm. and the Main character.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Coleridge once said, Samuel Taylor Coleridge said that the hardest part about artist selection, you know, what you leave out, you have to live with what's left out, and it is hard. I, I it's wordy. It's a long memoir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But he checked in with me on the various cuts and adjustments he was making to try and make the story speak to a more modern audience, perhaps collapse a few characters just because of the length. And it's hard to track so many characters. And he had it down to actually something that was still, you know, three hours long and two and a half hours long. And we kept sort of checking. So there was tucks and changes even up to the last minute, which I understood. And he had the creative license and he and his team, um, but they were very thoughtful Mm -hmm. about checking in with Mm -hmm. me about. It and eventually putting more of the focus on primarily the Oxford story rather than you know the preamble and that sort yeah. of thing. And I entirely understood why. Yeah,
0: in the book and in the movie, I mean, you're you grow up with your mom and dad, and then your dad goes to jail. Mm-hmm. Are your parents still living?
1: No, my my father had passed away seven years ago. My mother is almost ninety; she's still alive. And to clarify, my father was charged with fraud. He he was a he was very poor, Annie. He'd grown up. Um, going to school without shoes, you know, that yeah. sort of thing, a depression child, and was a self-made, very wealthy man. And he happened to lose all that business primarily through eventually fraud and and wow. difficult things that he was into with uh, real estate ventures and whatnot. So the FBI equivalent, the Mounties were all Canadian Mounties, came to our home, all that sort of thing, probably portrayed – relatively gently in the film,
0: really, but it
1: was a very difficult (sighs) process. So he didn't serve jail time, but he was caught in the court system for quite some time and his life was absolutely dismantled and he lost, he had a nervous breakdown as a result and then had some mental illness and was in and out of our lives after that. So my mom raised us as a single mom essentially. So the film does, I think, a good job of pointing at that respectfully, but um, we were extremely poor. And I had siblings I was helping to provide for my family. And it was a very, very complicated season. We all go through different things, but we had sure. um, a lot of a lot of people through our homes, a lot of fear, mm-hmm. and, um, and a lot of unseen sort of struggles and poverty.
0: So many of our friends listen and hope to write a memoir or want to write a memoir. Mm-hmm. How do you handle – this is one of the things I get better at the more books I write, that I did not handle this as well at the beginning mm-hmm. – how do you handle difficult family stories mm. when you couldn't have known when you wrote Surprise by Oxford that it would ever be a film people would watch? I mean, mm-hmm. you don't even ha- I mean, I've seen the movie no. a couple of times. I don't think you have siblings in the movie.
1: Right. And that was a directorial decision towards the last minute, actually, just to streamline some things because it just gets too complicated to follow all the figures.
0: So what's it like for your family? (laughs) And how do you do that well? How do you Mm -hmm. tell that well?
1: That's a really difficult question. I took that really, really seriously. And I have a friend of mine, Tabitha, who is a beautiful person and one of those soul sisters that walked through me with the early edits. And she said, just write it from your heart and put that early transcript in a chest, a golden chest. Yes. Right. And then I think it was Anne Lamott who said at one point, write as though your parents are dead, but I couldn't do that. And so I think I wanted to write carefully and with respect, but also with the truth. And so I did, at the time my father was alive, I did give him the transcript before it went to press. We were in touch. We had stayed in touch here and there. We were always close, but I didn't think any he would actually be mentally able to read it. Oh, wow. Um, He was virtually homeless and subsidized housing at that point, but he'd been homeless here and there. and, And he read it in one night. With wow. a pot of coffee and reached out to me and we talked, and it was not easy at the time, but yeah. through several months we talked through a lot of things and it opened the doors to the really real. Yeah. And a year or two later he gave his life to Christ. And we wow. had a few years with him before he passed. <gasps> Carolyn, so my yeah. youngest child is named for my dad. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think the Anne Lamott's quote of right like your parents are dead. I actually don't think that serves our stories very well. Mm-hmm. It it removes the honor it removes the honor part mm-hmm. of what we can honor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it and it and so I, mm-hmm. I I've always found that quote to be unhelpful.
1: <laughs> I understand what she's saying, and it's it's very difficult, you know, because of um how do we honor people perhaps at times that have very much hurt us, yeah. right? Or or difficulties and complexities we don't understand. But we have to also answer for our own hearts before God. And that Mm -hmm. commandment to honor our parents doesn't mean we ignore the truth or we lie, but we have to think about, again, obedience and how that often feels like sacrifice. And at times, it pays out in the future in ways we don't understand. Yeah,
0: that's right. I think it's a really interesting... Honor your father and mother is not honor your father and mother while they're living.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, there's lots of ways to honor and to think yes. about how to be appropriate about testimony. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's really, it is a hard part of the memoir life. Because you also, and I also, have my point of view. Mm-hmm. Right, of we all have our truths, and sure. And so your siblings, my siblings, your cousins, my cousins, our parents, they all have... They all saw the same story through different kaleidoscope lens. Right. But then your version of and this might be true for surprise by Oxford, your version of you and Kent meeting and you and Kent and and all of that he would have a whole different movie.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think the golden rule applies as it always does, right? Do unto others as you have done unto you. I would try to write about someone else's I would like to be written about. And if wow. I can't, then change the identifying
0: characteristics. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. So Ryan calls you in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. He starts writing. So he is the one who turns your book into the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is your husband reading along with you the whole way through at this point?
1: He is yes, and bits and pieces. Although I just run, I I talk a lot at him, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. so he usually gets the verbal. And he's like, "Uh huh, uh-huh. okay, honey, have you used up your words?" You know, yeah. at the end of the day. But he understood the decisions and things. My husband is terribly introverted, so this is probably about as awful for him <laughs> as can be imagined. Wow. But he's also very much about sharing the gospel and and hopefully encouraging others. And so. I, You know, when I first wrote it as a memoir, Annie, I never anticipated. I was always an academic writer. Yeah. You you know, so I was just writing really from a place of my heart between me and God, thinking about my unbelieving family and friends. What would I want to say with them? How would I write something with a foot in both worlds? Yeah. I did it as my sabbatical project with three children under three and hiding in a closet, writing on two by fours while he took the kids a lot to the beach or out and... I just needed to write it, even though I had been told not to write it or else I probably wouldn't get academic tenure at a secular place.
0: Oh, really? Why? Which is why I
1: waited until I had tenure. Yes. Because in secular academia, it's very complicated to write about your Christian faith or even identify yourself as a Christian.
0: I did not know that. Mm -hmm. So if you are... Teaching because you aren't teaching in a seminary, you're teaching
1: At this point I'm teaching in a secular university. Yeah. Mainstream. Um yeah. and I had been in many places. And that would be the that would be the general unspoken rule. Although sometimes spoken. Mentors take you aside or whatnot. Not to And is
0: it just Christian faith, or is it if you're Jewish, if you're Hindu, if you're don't talk I about it? I would faith? say it's
1: primarily Christian faith. Interesting. Um, You'd be amazed at some of the interviews I've had in job in this? Experiences and, oh, no, back then. No, okay. In secular places yes. where I know things were, were said to me that would not have been said in interviews regarding other stripes of religions. Wow. Um, and Or they would have been sued. Yeah. <laughs> so there is an antagonistic approach to especially to Christians. It's really interesting. And there's so there's various forms of persecution, and on no means is this on the same level as other brutal forms. But there is this subtle persecution that pushes particularly, I think, intellectuals and academics to the margin because they have to make a decision how they're going to play their game. And I do know some that have remained very covert, you know, wise as serpents, um, innocent doves, who who've, have a very deep faith and they... And they They serve by keeping quiet, loving students, living with integrity. That's absolutely fine, too. But if you choose to be more outspoken or publish on your faith, there will be backlash.
0: So when this happens, when this book becomes a movie, does that damage your... Teaching career?
1: No, because I'm at this fantastic place. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I'm at New College Franklin, which is a wonderful, small, classical Christian community of spiritual formation. It's just a delight. It's icing on the cake. I'm not sure quite how it would go down at other places. I have relationships now with a lot of places, which helps. I think that helps Christians if you can have relationships in which people know you do truly care for them, then it creates a space for conversation. But right off the get-go, it can be a fairly – Usually it would be a neg- a check in a negative box for you prior to an interview.
0: Carolyn, I had no idea. Yeah. That – wow, I had no idea. Does the University of Oxford – have thoughts about people making movies and telling stories about when they were there. I mean, people do it all the time. People do it all the time. I talk no. about University of Georgia all the time. So,
1: no, I think that they've been I mean, they've been lovely, plus a lot of my Christian professors and things and those that are still alive are very supportive there yeah. and excited. And I think a place like Oxford, not to over-idealize it, it has its problems too, any, but I think there really is a tradition of lots of conversation and ideas and yeah. You know, you can maybe it's, you know, the idea that Lewis said, right? We with the Persians, they debated things twice, once sober and once yeah, drunk. Yeah. And I think the pub culture helps. Yeah. You can have a debate in a tutorial where you're responsible for your ideas because there's only a handful of you. And then you can go to the pub and have a few pints and everybody yeah. can debate again. Yeah. There's kind of this um, jovial, interesting conversation about ideas. But, but here people get quite their knickers in a knot. They associate disagreement with hatred. And that's a yes. shame. It's lost yes. the. Aristotelian notion of entertaining many ideas without necessarily yes. accepting any of them. Yes. And I think if we can bring more civility back into that conversation, like the founding fathers had, you know, yeah. those sort of things. I'm speaking as a Canadian here, yeah. but I have a great a great respect for the American tradition of having lots of conversations within freedoms, mm-hmm. it, then it's a much more open table. And that's where Jesus met people too. Yeah, You know, he met them in all different ways and stripes where they were at.
0: I think if I would have read Surprise by Oxford or seen the movie before I picked a college, I think Oxford would have been very attractive to me uh. based on this story. I mean, the, will you explain? I mean, the classes are not big. There's... Mm-hmm. Five or six, seven people sitting in a mm-hmm. professor's office, and that mm-hmm. is your class. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. So is that what you do the whole four years?
1: Uh, yes. That's what's called the Oxbridge system. So it's a tutorial-based system. My MPhil class, for instance, was a two-year program when we had five students. <gasps> That were selected.
0: So the f- you and four others did all your classes mm-hmm. together?
1: We did our classes together. We, we might be in different, sometimes different tutorials. Like, a, you know, there would be people that would dovetail in yeah. to take it for different reasons or different programs. Some might be a little bit bigger than others. Some might be 10 or 20 people because they're serving a course in class and something else. Then there are large lectures that you can attend, and they're a little more public, or they would be for, you know, all students. Uh-huh. But your own particular program would just consist of a handful of you that had been selected by those supervisors. And then the supervisor uh, does take great personal care for in you, yeah. you know, really cares for you. So I also had this environment of meeting in their offices with tea or scotch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also going to their homes for dinner. They cared for the whole person. The provost of my college at St. Peter's held my engagement party because he knew I didn't have a father Yeah, that wow. was able to do it. wow. And you
0: went on to be a professor at Oxford, so you switched from the student in the couch to the teacher behind the desk.
1: Yes, I taught visiting American students for a while while I was finishing my MPhil um, for some teaching experience. And then, what is MPhil? Sorry, uh, an MPhil is a master's of philosophy, so it's the master's program before that prepares you for the doctorate. And then, and then I did teach some courses um, before I moved to the states. Wow.
0: And you're the I mean, I want to read this the first female dean of St. Peter's College at Oxford. Mm-hmm. I mean, you will forever be that you, that is like probably hung up on a wall somewhere there. Right. So will you tell us what that means for those of us like American or anybody could be listening from anywhere in the world and not know what it means to be a female dean of one of the colleges of Oxford?
1: Well, it was a it was a wonderful turn of events because when I arrived, Annie, at, at Oriel College is where I matriculated. Women had only been attending for a few years. Wow. It's hard for us to believe that, you know, in in the early nineties. And really, the only college that historically had women was Somerville College, and women couldn't take their degrees until you know, gosh, nineteen twenties, thirties, something like that, at least. So, a lot of the colleges did not have women until much later. So, my matriculation photo at Oriel, there's only a handful of us women. Which has its pros and cons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um when I went to St. Peter's first as a women's advisor and then was teaching, we had we were a slightly smaller college. So usually there's a senior dean, a dean, and a junior dean, but we just had a senior dean and a, a dean. And the dean was in charge of a lot of the student relationships and overseeing students and things. And our both were men and our one dean had he had to leave back for Scotland for a family situation. And I stepped in temporarily and then they asked me to stay on permanently.
0: And the difference between Oxford and, like, like University of Georgia is when I was at Georgia, we had, like, schools. Like, mm-hmm. the Adderold School is where mm-hmm. I went for all my education things. Okay. But at Oxford, the colleges are within Oxford University. Right. But whatever one you enter in, you're staying there your whole educational career
1: not necessarily it's a it's a quirky thing because i think as north americans we arrive and we think there's going to be a big campus and that's yeah. what i looked for yeah. you know these big gates that's yeah Oxford. that's right
0: welcome <laughs> all ye enter here
1: and despair <laughs> you know or whatever that's right and um they're not. They're all these little colleges that are within a city. So there's a town gown mm-hmm. dichotomy. Mm-hmm. But what's really beautiful about them is then they're sort of hidden gems. So you can see them from some of the roads, but over the walls and things like that. But when you do enter into the gates through the Porter's Lodge, it is it is like Narnia. You know, yeah. you go in and it opens into gardens and these beautiful libraries and quads that open way, way back. So it's sort of these little cities within a city. It's like oh. Russian dolls. Yeah. Um, you can walk right past and not know. You'll just see this old medieval door and have yeah. no idea that it opens into something. Something massive. right? So it's sort of like that. But you would matriculate at a college, which means you're sort of a lifelong member of that college. But you can move from colleges for jobs or for research positions. Ah. So that's what happened for me. I matriculated at Oriel. It'll always have a very special place in my heart. That's why I began my studies. Yeah. But then I eventually moved to St. Peter's to be a women's advisor and then to, to teach and then to be the dean. And and then at that point, I was looking at moving to new college for another position. So mm-hmm. you you can move among the colleges, and you're part of the larger University of Oxford, but you have a home college. And what's so lovely about your home college is they care for you forever. Yeah. Like, they're just wonderful. Yeah. It's so wonderful to have. I think what's nice is you're not part of this huge juggernaut, and you don't feel as anonymous, right. that you're just in this sea, you know, awash. There's, you can enjoy all the things at the larger university and the massive library, the Bodleian, and all the different events and orchestras and concerts and things but then you're and you can visit the different colleges especially as friends and all the colleges have their own library and their own pubs
0: yeah
1: but then you're also part of a little family that knows yeah. you well and the porter you've laugh in the film but the yes. porters the porters are like that they they know everything about your lives wow. they know your mail.
0: yeah yeah and they, <laughs> they talk sort to your every mail time you walk
1: in yeah oh who are you dating now love yeah. oh i don't know if i like him oh you know you came in a little late last night yeah you know like it's really quite funny they sort of they know everything about you
0: Okay, I'm just whispering in here in the middle of this conversation. Do not forget to go follow Surprised by Oxford on Instagram and like and share the giveaway post so you can try and win free tickets to see the movie. They're choosing winners on September 25th at 12 p.m. Eastern. To enter, all you have to do is follow Surprised by Oxford on Instagram, then like and share the post about the giveaway. There are 100 tickets, so don't miss your chance to win and head to the theater on September 27th to see Surprised by Oxford. Y'all are going to love it. Okay, let's go back and keep chatting with Carolyn. is your doctorate in philosophy? It's um, called a doctorate of philosophy.
1: It's in humanities. So any humanities, which for me was romantic literature.
0: So I want us to talk about the movie. So my last question before we turn to the movie is to call on that part of your brain. And will you (laughs) tell us if you could say, what's one thing we could do to be better thinkers? I think, like you said, we live in a time where being a, a varied thinker is not as celebrated. Mm. People want you to think one thing and stay there. Mm. Um, How do we work on being better thinkers?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. And that's a huge question because I teach logic and rhetoric and all the trivium and that to my students. But one of them is... To read. I know that okay. sounds so redundant. And oh. I, I'm not, not saying that in an elitist way or that you have to be just this massive bibliophile, but to read because I do think as I say to my kids, reading, if you can read anything, you can open yourself to any world yeah. and you can research anything. Yeah. My grandfather used to say that to me in Hungarian. So you can find the answer to anything in a book. Wow. So but weighing then that conversation between you know, the book and yourself or ideas in yourself, I think that's what of course what was so astounding about something like the Reformation, right? Reading your the Bible for yourself. Yeah. So So reading and thinking for yourself, sitting with something, asking – I'm a big believer in the Socratic method, asking yourself a lot of questions as you read and accept things, asking other people questions, being open to their stories, their input. I think question starts with quest for a reason. So just being open to thinking about the adventure behind things as opposed to coming to things very, very close-minded.
0: Yeah, It's been interesting because I think as culture has gotten louder about – Don't ask questions about certain things and be very what this is what this says and go and don't I have found myself being more like, hold on, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe if everyone's telling me not to ask questions, I want to ask more questions.
1: Right. I felt I think I felt
0: in my early twenties more stuck with all my beliefs Mm. and the world said, You have ask questions. And I said, No, we don't ask questions. Mm. And and the older I've gotten, the more I've pursued that. I think mm. and reading you're I think you're yeah. right I think reading is the is the trick of it all of reading people who, who we don't necessarily agree with or understand mm-hmm. and tr- I think tell me if this resonates with how you teach your students or your experience I think sometimes we don't want to read people we don't agree with because we are afraid their ideas will take over our brain right 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 so talk about that for a second how do we read people we don't agree with and learn what to take in
1: Mm. where I had to be discerning readers, yes. right? Well, I think the Lord's refrain in the New Testament of do not be afraid over and over and over again is good reason, yes. you know. Our God isn't fragile and he's not going to shatter because we read something. And it's not the, you know, the books themselves that need to be censored, right? It's just the idea that what should we discard and what should we keep? And we're given so much information Annie, so many facts and very little wisdom. Mm. So I think the idea of being open reading is a way of asking questions. You know, somebody you're reading into someone's life or into someone's fictional character that they're exploring ideas or themes through or even into historical facts. And there's an inherent questioning in that. So I I think the idea of being able to just sit and weigh things and make all our thoughts captive to Christ and not a cultural ease, you know, not this kind of veneer of Christianity either – that we're going to sit with things and about what we think we should think mm-hmm. or how we think we should feel. There's so much more that we add to scripture and we add to Jesus that that isn't there. That comes from our fear too. Fear yeah. is the fear is the great disabler, yes. right? It's the it's the mind forged manacles, as Blake mm-hmm. says, that keeps us trapped. But there's no fear in the truth, and there's no fear in in Jesus. And bringing back to Him what we are reading in prayer and in contemplation and against scripture, I think, yeah. is very important. Yeah.
0: Thank you. That helps me. I really appreciate that. Well,
1: I hope it helps because I, that's what I'm trying to do. But. Yeah. Yeah. It really, I mean, I don't what, know, but part I'm of trying. my job
0: is I read everyone. I mean, everyone sure. who sits where you're sitting, I read all their books. And sure. so trying to, even in my own life, not become a cornucopia that is unthoughtful. Uh, I'm very happy to become a thoughtful cornucopia yeah. of ideas. <laughs> just, to, just to swallow everything you're fed, cornucopia I don't want to be. Absolutely. And so, um, and I want to put my phone down more and read more. So, yes, that is a goal. Okay, let's talk about the movie, Surprise by okay. Oxford. I'm going to give you so you and I got to see the movie last week together with a bunch of our friends. Mm-hmm. And I got two reviews that I want to present to you because I think you'll, I would love for you to respond to them. They both liked it. So okay. don't worry, don't <laughs> worry. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I have not met a person that did not like it. That's One good. friend said, That story of faith was beautiful. And I loved that there was a love story in it, too. Mm. The other friend said, that was totally a love story. And then there was like a little faith in it. Oh, how (laughs) fascinating. They were sitting in the same room. Yes. And they, one of them saw it as a love story with a faith line, and one of them saw it as a faith story with a love line. Mm-hmm. Is that happen? What do you think about that? Well, that harkens
1: back exactly to what we were saying earlier: of everybody sits in a different truth, but yeah. that doesn't take away from the, you know, the truths that lie too deep for frost. Right? Yes. It is a romantic story. It is a story in which um, I did fall in love with my husband, but it's also a bigger story around falling in love with Christ and how he holds all those stories and all our loves point to that. So it would make sense that they would pick up on both and perhaps what their hearts are more in tune for at the moment. Sometimes when we watch movies or read books, we they speak to us very differently later at different points. Yeah.
0: You could have knocked me over with a feather when they both told That's me that so about two and a half minutes apart. I was like, <laughs> wow, y'all were in the same room and you walked out with the same two core ideas, but 70%, 30%, 30%, 70%. Yes. I thought it was fascinating. That's so funny. I know. I mean, it is so unique, Caroline, because the movie beautifully parallels mm-hmm your love for your husband and your love for God. Mm. And so will you talk a little bit about, is Kent the reason you became a believer?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. No. Mm. <laughs> I think he was the conduit. I think he, I think no one can be the reason why you become a believer. Mm. No one except Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous to conflate those two. I'm really grateful. The movie condensed it somewhat, but I'm very, very grateful that it did present truly how I felt I was in love with him. I realized I loved my, I loved Kent by the end of that first year, and I did go running after him in the rain.
0: I <laughs> hope so. In a dress. That dress, <laughs> that dress Rose has on is gorgeous. I yeah,
1: I had more of a top shop, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was but a student on a we scholarship love top shop too. I you love know it. what it was, and I took my heels off. But, but you but, really
0: went running in. the I rain did. After him, I
1: took the wrong road. So I didn't actually pursue the taxi. I went the wrong way, which is so metaphor for my life. So I went the wrong way and missed him completely. And actually we were friends for about a couple of years after that, just long distance. He was working in DC, yeah. I was in England. So we always had an interesting connection, but we had two very different lives. I never thought I would even possibly see him again. So I think what that allowed, Annie, in a way, was a great gift of pulling the threads apart to actually make sure it wasn't just him. Wow. And I went to Bible study and had my own church and my own circle of friends and my own pursuit because no one else can be can fulfill that longing for us, yeah. right? Anything else, people included, are an idol, you know, C.S. Lewis in *The Great Divorce* presents even the idea of mother love—a woman who loves her son so much she can't imagine mm-hmm. him being in hell, right? Yeah. And and yet, and that's such a an idealistic love that we all really worship. But even that's a trap. Anything that we put ahead of God is is an idol, and it's only going to disappoint us, mm-hmm. and we're going to disappoint others yeah. too. So we have to have that first and foremost relationship and. When we're Christians, we're married to Jesus first, regardless of our status. All our decisions, our heart have to come before him first and we're his beloved and Marriage has only made me even more convinced of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as much as we have the privilege of growing to know and, and be sanctified along someone else, it still is us that has to answer for our hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not us before God going, Hey, what about the other guy? Right. You know, even in our friendships too. And with your children. I and would our imagine. children. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. children especially. Yes. I, I think I can see why Lewis chose that. And, uh, you know, I used to struggle a lot with how can hell be hell with the people I love in it, you yeah. know. And mm-hmm. and he addresses that in The Great Divorce so dead on that it has to be our own decision before God. And that's yeah. the beauty and the individualism of it.
0: Yeah. I sat with a friend yesterday, and, and she's not married and doesn't have kids yet. We talked about the pressure she feels about the people she loves in her life who aren't believers yet right and i and i said to her i think this is practice mm-hmm. for when you do have a husband and kids because you also cannot control their faith no <laughs> just like you can't control your roommate's faith or your family's faith or your cousin's faith or your whoever's faith and i said i feel like you're just getting this practice of like the people i love desperately i can only live in front of them right and i think kent must have done that beautifully in real mm-hmm. life. He certainly did mm-hmm. it beautifully in the book and mm-hmm. in the movie of this is who I am and this is what I stand for and you're welcome to be in my life.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I think when someone walks their talk, that really helps us Christians, but we're always going to stumble. Yeah. You know, we're always going to misrepresent to somebody. But even if you have somebody represent the faith to you or you come through a great church wounding, you know, not to throw the baby out with the baptism water either, yeah. you That's know, beautiful. that there's... Just because we're all flawed and fallible or there's sin doesn't mean that the truth doesn't endure. Mm. And he wants our own personal relationship. You know, when I was thinking about the faith, and it was so interesting, I thought, gosh, why doesn't anyone else know our thoughts? Like, why don't we walk around with this big thought bubble above right, our heads that everyone right. else can read? But now I realize how absolutely mortifying that would be. <laughs> <laughs> but that only God and I know that. And yeah. and that's such proof of grace for me that every thought we have can take us closer or farther away from him. Mm. And that's all we can control. And sometimes yeah. we can't even control that. We just have to hand that over, yeah. too. Yeah. And uh, it's not about anyone else.
0: Our pastor taught on Sunday. And one of the things he said is, Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow yeah, me right. and I'll make you fishers of men. And I, how many times have we heard that? Like a gazillion, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, notice who is doing the making. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's not me. Mm-hmm. It's not me to make myself a fisher. Like, right. in the end— I think what I'm learning, and your story tells me this, Surprise boxer tells me this, Scripture tells me this, like, the grace of it all Mm
1: -hmm. is we
0: have very little control. We have very little control. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We have a lot of choices, and we make the best ones we can. Our thought bubbles stay as true to God as possible. But he is the one. It's making us
1: right. He's going to fill our nets. And yeah. He's going to, and we can hook people.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, mean, I think that was surprised by Oxford. <clears throat> like, this is a tool that people can use to bring someone who may not believe everything they believe to a movie theater.
1: Right. I hope so. I mean, that's why I wrote the book. Was I wanted so badly to share the relevancy of faith. You know, yeah. Lewis also says people don't believe that their faith is relevant to their lives. Mm. I've had so many friends, Annie, that are not only not believers, you know, I've operated in that world, but then also friends of mine who did come from a family of faith or Catholic parents or whatever else, and they felt as they grew up, it just wasn't relevant for yeah. them. Wow. They just didn't have any space for yeah. that in their lives. And how did my parents' faith have any relevancy to our culture today? Right. And that idea of entering into it and making it your own before God. And I really hope with this film that, People can come of all stripes, yeah. you know, people can bring unbelieving friends, skeptical friends, maybe they have a faith that they're questioning themselves, maybe maybe they're unsure about their faith or they're asking questions or they think that God can't withstand those questions, mm. that it would encourage them to ask the questions or to ask them more deeply, but that any type of person could go. Yeah any all oh my i think of my siblings i think of my friends yeah. who could i bring into the theater with me because you know it is like paul says before king agrippa it's not um i wish that you had everything i had except these chains yeah you know yeah. it's that joy it's not a heavy-handed wanting you to alter call film there's a place for that too there's yeah, a place of for everything you of know course. there's a yes. place for the guy on the corner with the placard saying yeah. the end the end is coming you right. know i that works. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it speaks to some people, but all lots of different gifts, different voices, and a, wanting to have a conversation between those who watch the film in their own soul or the friends that they sit with—that would be invitational.
0: Yeah, it was one of my favorite things about it. When when my two friends had those two responses, I went, "Everyone who walks in the theater, mm. we have no idea how they're going to walk out. Did they did they just see a faith story, or did they just see a love story, or did they just see an intellectual right story? I mean, there's like." I've never been this close to a book that turned into a movie. Surprising. Neither of us have. <laughs> I've never watched this before. So it's been so amazing mm. to see the response. Mm. Um, we also both got to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. You're a much better actress than I am. Um, <laughs> no, I'm so just a you, professor. Well, yeah, yeah, that's right. We will know how talk to talk about that. Yeah, like, I mean, you literally got to stand. Tell the, tell the behind-the-scenes story of where your scene is mm. in the film.
1: Well, Ryan came to me with the idea, and it was such a beautiful inside joke. Yeah. And he mentioned it to me at first, and I thought, oh, my goodness. But he said, I'd love for you to read these lines from Lewis about longing and how all joy reminds, because I know they were important lines to you at a C.S. Lewis meeting years ago. And it will be in the same room, in the same building, in the same location in which you attended before you were a believer, the very first C.S. Lewis society meeting. And it was. And it was an incredible circle of grace to go back to that room and to say those same lines, now myself with a faith. And I remember when I first heard those lines, walking back on the cobblestone streets at night, back to my college, really disturbed by them.
0: Yeah, wow. Unsure what
1: to do by them.
0: Yeah. Because
1: we've all felt fleeting joy.
0: Yeah.
1: And we've all felt immense sorrow and grief, right? And and what do we do with holding those in the same hand? And so I think that's what goes back to this film is – Ken Carp and I are joking about, you know, it's not really romance. It's not really faith. You know, how would you put it on Netflix? You know, yeah, yeah. it's got all these different facets. And in a way, we don't want to label it as such that would put it in a box. And I think it's a it's a paradox film. Yeah. You know, there should be a paradox genre. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's kind of all those things and facets that spin. And yeah. that's how I remember feeling when I was walking home from that talk. So being able to, to have a small part in that scene was really quite fun.
0: I loved it. I leaned over to my friend. I was like... That's the author. I was like, <laughs> she, look, she's in the movie, in the room. Um, do you have a favorite scene now? How many times have you seen the movie, do you think?
1: Oh, gosh. A handful of times now because we yeah. saw it in different places when they were still adding color and sound yes, and that sort yes. of thing. So. We saw
0: it together one time when they were still working Early on, on. that. Yeah, right, yeah.
1: right. So it's been really beautiful to see it all come together with the full soundtrack in that I, as well.
0: Blown away. Mm-hmm. The different – I mean, I think – My two times seeing it were about what a year and a half apart, a year apart. Me too. And they're very. I mean, it it is. It is different when you put music back there,
1: (laughs) and the music is beautiful. And Nick Fox's score is beautiful. I love his music. And the cinematography. You feel like you've gone on vacation.
0: Yeah. Do you have a favorite scene to see?
1: Oh my goodness,
0: they're all so wonderful.
1: I. I love, I mean, I love the scenes of The Bodleian because my heart is there, but The Librarian's a hoot. Yeah, The Librarian scene oh, is just Both of them. They're just both great. Of them. Yeah. They're
0: so good. Yeah. Rose Running in the Rain is the <laughs> one for me. I just, I want that dress so bad. <laughs> it is the most beautiful. I just, yeah. I love, because that's like a movie scene that you really did. You really I, did I that. I did. I did. And so it just is, that is my favorite. But I also love when she first, she, you, first gets <laughs> to Oxford and she's, Plunking her luggage everywhere. Yes, I think that there's is no so, elevators. Yeah, when, at when Oxford, the there's says, no elevators. Are there bricks in here? And you say, no, it's just all books. You're books. Like you flew a suitcase of books from and Canada shoes. to. You in have Canada. to have shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's beautiful, <laughs> Carolyn. It, I just am, I am so excited for people to get to see it oh. and, and to see it in the theater next week. I mean, you and I saw it thank in you. a smaller theater last week, but I mean, we're, we're seeing it on that big screen mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. next week. And I just, I'm so excited. Oh, thank you. Me too. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> okay. Is there anything we didn't say about the film that you want to make sure we say? No, just
1: I think yeah, it's just a beautiful experience. It's they've done a lovely adaptation. Yeah. I'm very happy with it. I hope it lands with people softly and gently yeah. and memorably.
0: Yeah. It has for me, clearly. Yeah. I'm glad for the last What's 23 minus 11, 12. For the yes. last 12 years, this yes. has been an important story to me. So well, 12 is a good you. number. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> thank you so, so much, Carolyn. Okay, the last question we always ask. Okay. Because the show is called That Sounds Fun. I can't <laughs> believe I'm asking Carolyn Weber this. <laughs> Dr. Carolyn Weber, tell me what sounds fun to you. Oh, my
1: gosh. Contrary to Dr. I, – I am fun.
0: <laughs> you are fun. Oh, my gosh. My, my teenage so boys fun. might
1: beg to disagree. <laughs> Um, fun is cool, but what is fun? Oh my goodness. Okay. Netflix and snacks are fun. Chocolate's always fun. Yeah.
0: What are you watching on Netflix? Is there a show we should check out?
1: Oh, okay. So I know this is hilarious. My daughter and I are entirely, well, for ages we were addicted to the great British Baking Show, oh, sure, with my, which my boys got drawn into, yeah, yeah, which yeah. makes me laugh my yeah, head off. I love it. But we love Rick Steves, The Travel <gasps> Show. <laughs> yeah,
0: of course. So there's
1: lots of different things we always watch. We're always watching. We love to watch movies, period pieces, and things like yeah. that. But we love to just go around the world and... Via Rick Steves. Yes. He's funny. He's amazing. He's so like delightfully nerdy. Yes. My my and daughter and I have a crush it. on him. Yes. He's so like
0: nerdy and sweet. He's so wonderful. He never brings enough underwear. Yeah. I'm like, I am not washing these every night, <laughs> Rick Steves. I will just bring a bigger carry on. He's like, bring a fanny pack for two weeks. I'm like, Rick, it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be like that. Um, have you watched, now this is me um, making an assumption about you. So forgive okay. me if I'm off.
1: I, I don't mind because I'm
0: sure it's it's gracious. I It is. Of course <laughs> it is. I love, PBS is one of my favorite mm. subscriptions that my mother pays for mm-hmm. for me um and all creatures great and small oh
1: yes that's <sighs> darling it's i wonderful. love pbs i love all british shows sanditon
0: did y'all watch sanditon too yes Sanditon was a little spicy for yes. a pbs show in season one but they were much calmer in season two but i mean i could i i genuinely wonder could i cancel everything else except something to give me sports <laughs> And just live on PBS. I think I might I think be able to. I think you could.
1: I think you could. And BritBox. And, yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, so BritBox I need to get about because I think that's how I can watch Repair Shop.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Have you watched and Repair no, Shop? No, I have not. <gasps> I've heard about oh, it. Oh, I think your okay. family would live for Repair Shop. I have shop. heard about
1: it. I'm dying to because I live for British TV. I love British TV. And
0: they are bringing these old antiques. And it's true, right? These people yeah. bring these beautiful oh, antiques yeah, from yeah. their family and yeah. they fix them.
1: Yeah, like the roadshow. We would watch the antique roadshow. It is the
0: antique roadshow, but the thing is broken. Oh, and it gets repaired,
1: and it get, Oh, that's even more beautiful it's and symbolic. Beautiful. Oh, it just that gives every me great hope. Makes me cry as I get older. Oh, that yes. gives me great hope.
0: <laughs> that's right. i can, can be bought. Can be That's right. Oh, I. And for some reason, in the U.S., we can only see one season. But in the UK, oh. it's constant. So i yeah. got. To, I wonder if BritBox is my trick.
1: Okay, we should check because it is really a hoot when you go there. Antique stores and that—they're serious business. Yes, antiquing. Like yes. people here sort of do it on the fly. Yes, but it's really serious.
0: I mean, one of the best episodes that I will tell you, someone sent me illegally, is um, <laughs> King Charles takes an antique from Buckingham Palace and has them repaired. It's really, so cool. It's so cool. Wow. Yeah. That's, wow. I feel like y'all need to get about that show. Wait
1: for him to live on the edge. I know, I don't right?
0: Don't <laughs> be a public person and talk about it, King Charles. So it's awesome. Maybe um, they threw
1: it during an argument or something. Yeah, that's
0: right. That's right. Something went sideways and I need you to fix this. It's beautiful. Now so, right. not tell Camilla. That's right. <laughs> well. I just, Carol, I can't thank you enough for the work oh, you do. And I'll, I mean, I, this is not your only book you've written. I also loved Sex in the City of God. We, you and I have never even talked about that. I loved that book as well. Oh, thank you. Your other, how, how many other books? What else is there? Holy is the Day, mm-hmm. Living in the Gift of the Present. Is it those three? Yeah,
1: there's those three. I've done a lot of other academic writing and yeah. I'm working on a few others with <gasps> literature and and faith, but okay. oh yes, those were sort of things on. Yeah, they were started on the side because I wanted to write about them for my faith, but yeah. actually, they're sort of
0: faith has a way yes. of being more
1: central than you realized.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm telling you, when um, Sex and the City of God released, I could not get off my couch quick enough to get it. I mean, I oh. I, I was so because of my feelings for surprise backstory, I was like she's got another one let's go and i just loved it so you're well the title was a bit
1: racy but we were going yeah, for the pun i
0: loved it i mean and you are truly one of the best writers i've ever read oh that's very very gracious and thing it to say. is incredible so to see it as a movie is so fun too all right next wednesday september 27th it's coming up fast. it's happening Yep. Yeah. oh you guys isn't she brilliant i mean brilliant like level 100 brilliant And if you don't win tickets, no worries. Grab all your people anyway and go see the movie next Wednesday. Surprisebyoxford.movie has all the details on where it will be playing on September 27th. This is a great movie to see with your friends or for a date night. I think y'all are going to love it. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That's how you can find me. And don't forget, you can find the That Sounds Fun podcast on Instagram at That Sounds Fun Podcast. I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home. Do something that sounds fun to you, and I'll do the same. And today, what sounds fun to me? Well, you know I love a Friday, and today I'm headed down to speak in Florida for the next two weekends, which I'm stoked about. And I am just, I just love it. I love it. I'm so happy to get to see y'all and hang out with y'all. And all my speaking is always at AnnieFDowns.com. If you ever wanted to show up somewhere where I am, I'd love it. So y'all have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday, which... Get ready for the mind blown emoji button. Dr. Scott McKnight is here with us on Monday. Y'all, this is a good one. Okay, have a good weekend.